You're listening to Conversations at the Cohen Center, a space for intellectual engagement, interdisciplinary collaboration, and a vibrant graduate community at James Madison University. Welcome to Conversations at the Cohen Center. I'm Becca, and today I'm speaking with Sarah O'Connor, Professor of Writing, Rhetoric, and Technical Communication here at JMU. Having worked at JMU since 2001, Sarah's scholarship includes service learning, creative nonfiction, literature in the composition classroom, autobiography, and even prison writing, with a focus on the idea of rehabilitative justice within the criminal justice system. Sarah also created the Second Chance podcast, which shares the stories of people who have left prison and are making positive contributions to their communities. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thank you. So let's just jump right in. Could you elaborate a little bit on your time here at JMU and your past and current scholarship? Okay. Uh, I have been here in this department since 2001. When I first came, it was the writing program. It wasn't actually a department. And then it joined with technical communication to become WRTC. And I think I've always had an interest in helping students find their voice in their writing and also in using uh, using writing for advocacy and and thinking about writing as coming out of communities and contributing to communities. So I think that's that's been a focus of my writing, of my teaching for a long time. I, I've created several courses since I've been here. Uh, the One was the rhetoric of the personal narrative, um, which was relates to that idea of personal voice and helping students find their voice. And, and that relates to later my doing the podcast, but um, that was one of the courses. Uh, writing in the community is another. So in that, students do 20 hours of community service and read about change makers in the community. Uh, another one is prison writing, which grew out of writing in the community. And then the last one was a co- uh, the course in the work of public writing, which is a graduate course. In, in WRTC. It sounds like you like to make a lot of your own courses. Well, I, I have enjoyed doing that. It's always, there's a lot of energy. I feel a lot of energy when I'm working on a new class that I haven't taught before. Is there anything specific that inspires you to create a new class? Or is it just like an idea that pops up in your head? Or how do you do it? I think all of those courses have come out of personal interest. Um, interest in work in the community, and interest in, in advocacy. And as I got more interested in, in the writing in the community work, um, that led to an interest in prison writing. So you teach that prison writing course here at JMU. Um, could you tell our listeners a little bit about that course and what it's like to teach it? Sure. So let me say first that it stu- it started, as I said, with the writing in the community class because in that class we read we've uh, often read Dead Man Walking, which is about the death penalty uh, by Sister Helen Prejean, and that was always a part of the class that seemed to have the greatest impact on students, and that learning more about the death penalty myself led to learning more about mass incarceration. Um, reading things like the new Jim Crow. And so that led naturally to creating the prison writing class. 
So in the prison writing class, we read writing about prison and from prison. We, we have an anthology of prison writing, and uh, we do read um, the excerpts from the new Jim Crow. We read Just Mercy this semester by Brian Stevenson, who started the Equal Justice Initiative, and a variety of other things. But uh, the, the other thing that uh, we do in that class is we've, for a couple of semesters, we've worked on the podcast in that class. Students have contributed to that, uh, creating a website, finding people to interview, working on collecting photos and additional resources to go with those interviews. Um, so that, that's been a really re- rewarding part of the class as well. Didn't you go visit a prison at one point? We did. We, we always do a tour of the Harrisonburg Jail, um, the regional jail. And one semester, we had the funding for to get a bus to go to the Goochland Women's Correctional Facility, which is about an hour and a half away. And that was, that was a really interesting experience. I, I don't think any of us knew exactly what to expect. It was the first uh, dedicated women's prison in Virginia. And it, it's kind of out in the country and has no walls. It has no, yeah, it has no fences around it because there's not really any place to go. Um, it's not, it's, it's more of a, a minimum security prison. And a lot of they, their focus is on preparing women to go back into the community. So they have a lot of classes. And a, a lot of the women that are there have, have drug offenses. Unfortunately, that makes sense. Yeah. But I think we were all surprised at the how much of a focus there was on rehabilitation there. We were pleasantly surprised by that. Is that not something that you'd like seen reflected in the readings you were doing before that point? Not really. Uh, you know, there's there seems to be a lot of places, you know, the focus just seems to be on punishment and not very much on rehabilitation, offering any kind of education programs on an at least on an ongoing basis. Um, a, a lot of places have GED. You know, somebody can complete a GED. But anything beyond that is sometimes a program will start and then stop because of funding. So there are a few programs that have been ongoing for a long time, like the Bard College Initiative. Few places have something like that. You created the Second Chance podcast, which is a really amazing work that's sharing a lot of transformative stories. Mm -hmm. Was there something specific that inspired the creation of that podcast? I started running across these stories of people who had been in prison and were out and were doing something really exceptional. Um, The first person that I ran across was um, a guy named Robert Vincent who had been in prison in California, and he had been in prison for uh, 16 years. He had been convicted even though he was only with a group of people where someone was shot. He wasn't the person who fired the gun, but he was still given 16 years to life and started out in one of the most high-security prisons in California. Um, But after a few years, he was transferred to a different prison that had an arts in prison program, and he learned how to make classical guitars while he was in prison. 
he when he went to prison, he was only 19. He had been studying body work on cars and painting cars. So he was originally pulled into this class to do the finishing work on the guitars. And he, he had a real talent for it. And he really loved the music. You know, when he somebody came to the prison who was a classical guitarist and played, and he, and he was just really moved by the sound of the music and kind of astounded that a wooden box could make that kind of sound. So he continued um, learning how to do classical guitar music and um, making. And when he got out of prison, he started his own business in his garage. And now he sells classical guitars around the world. So that was the first story that I ran across and uh, was able to interview him. And But then I started finding other stories. So uh, I originally, my original idea was to do a book, to collect these stories and put them in a book. And then I realized that that was going to take a long time. And if I was telling the story, it was going to have a different effect than if the person was telling their own story in their own voice. And I wanted that immediacy of hearing their voice, hearing them tell their story. In class, we talked about uh, people um, that had been in prison and uh, how you know they're real people. And we talked about change and the possibility of people uh, changing. And some people felt people can't change on some deep level. If you're this kind of person, you're always going to be this kind of person. Um, other people felt like, yeah, you know, that's it's definitely possible for somebody to turn their life around and completely change. I felt like the stories were the best way to show, yes, change is possible. Because if you don't believe that change is possible, then there's no point in investing in rehabilitation or education. But if you see the possibilities for change, you know, then then you're like, yes, obviously, you know, we need to put more money into education. We need to invest in rehabilitation. These are people who most of the people who are in prison are going to get out. And do we want them to get out, you know, with no skills in the same situation they went in? And if that happens, the chances are that they'll end up back in prison. So if we think about it as pe these people are going to get out, we want to give them an opportunity and the best chance at change and having a better life. And going back into the community with something to contribute, we have to invest in that. And so podcasts seem like the best way to do that. Um, and also they could be produced more quickly. So um, that, was, that was the original idea. And then I was a faculty associate with Digicom at JMU. And they asked me if I had a project I'd like to work on during that time I was with them. And I said, yes, you know, I would like to do a podcast. I have no idea how to do this. I have no experience in it at all. Um, but if they could help me, you know, then I could get it off the ground. So that was what we did. And they were a tremendous help. Um, there was a graduate student there who helped with the editing of the first three interviews we were able to create the website working with the class, the prison writing class, create the first website and collect pictures and do all of that. So um, I think I'm not sure if I hadn't had that year with Digicom, if I would have really been able to, to 
do the podcast and get started on it, but they were a great help. So there are two other um, stories up on the Second Chance podcast. How did you go about finding those people and how do you go about finding even more after them? It's actually easier than you would think. Okay. If you just do a search for uh, formerly incarcerated, um, you, you know, a lot of stories pop up. And uh, the, the biggest challenge is actually contacting people and finding their contact information. One of the people, one of the first, another of the first three people was a lawyer in Michigan who works with uh, civil cases. He had been in prison himself, and he uh, now works with law students uh, in a clinic to train them in how to work with prisoners who are, um, have civil cases. And so often it's, it's, it has to do with the conditions in the prison. And I found his story in a newsletter from the university in Michigan, Michigan, where he is. And he was easy to contact through the university. And uh, the ones that were working on this semester came from a variety of places. Uh, Buddy Harrison is somebody who started a boxing club for uh, kids. He had been in prison himself, and he went in as a juvenile. And when he got out of prison, he decided to needed to change his life. He had a couple of kids at that point, realized that the road he was going down was not a good one. Um, he said that while he was in prison, he was known, everybody knew him for how bad he was. What a bad person. And when he got out and decided to change his life, he, he completely changed. Um, so he, he set up this boxing uh, club to keep, help keep other kids like him off the streets and have a place for them to go. And he invited policemen from the D.C. area. This is in southwest D.C., where the club is. He invited policemen from the D.C. area and the county to come for free and train so that they could meet the kids and develop a better relationship with them. And so... He does, and he does other things. Every Sunday, he goes and hands out clothes at a park where there are a lot of homeless people. He distributes meals at Christmas and Thanksgiving. He gives, collects shoes, new shoes, and gives them out at the beginning of the school year. So he, uh, people know that he's doing this, and they make contributions for those things. But he said he's really proud now because instead of people knowing him for how bad he is, they know him because of how good he is. So... That was really... That's so sweet. He was a great, a really great person. So, I mean, that's part of the uh, what makes it so fun to do is just the people. uh, You know, the people that I have a chance to talk to are just amazing and wonderful people that have changed their lives. And most of them are doing something that is directly trying to give back in some way um, to make up for what they did to keep other people off the streets or from getting getting uh, going to prison or going back to prison, um, to provide information for people on options once they get out of prison. So that's really cool work that you're doing, sharing it's, those stories. It's really wonderful to talk to those people. Where do you see the podcast going from here? This semester, what we're doing is we're we're going to decided to do it in stages. This semester, so 
we're creating a new website and we're posting excerpts from the interviews. We did four interviews this semester. Uh, we're posting excerpts from just the audio interview uh, and a lot of photos. And then next semester, I'm going to edit those into a for the podcast um, because I don't really have time to do all of it this semester and teach my classes. So um, I think my biggest challenge is finding an editor because I don't have a lot of experience in editing. That's that's what I'll be working on next semester. That's really cool. So you teach that graduate course called The Rhetorics of Public Writing. Uh, could you share a little bit about that course and how you created it and designed it and how you teach it? Yeah, it's a graduate course. It is uh, public writing is writing for change. It, it's, it's an area of rhetoric uh, where a lot has been written. So we cover some of the important scholarship in that area. And then each person in the class generally decides on an area that they're interested in, that they already care about and are interested in seeing change happen in. Uh, so some of the areas that people have focused on in the past were food insecurity in the local area. Uh, another person talked about food insecurity at JMU. Uh, another person uh, looked at um, marijuana legalization. Another person looked at more broadly freedom of expression, and she took a more global look. Um, so there's been a lot of each person chooses their own subject, uh, and then they do three projects during the class that involve those subjects. And the first one for everybody, though, is creating a Pecha Kucha. So they do it's 20 slides with 20 seconds for each slide to, to say something. And the goal of that is to show why people should care about their subject. So they do that first. Everybody does one. Then they propose two other projects. So they can those can be whatever they want them to be. But everybody in the class has to agree to those. You know, we, we talk about them together and decide if those sound like good projects, give suggestions, feedback. And then all along the way, you know, we're doing the same thing. Uh, there's a lot of group work in that class, people helping one another. Um, and, and one uh, other part of it is that they need to find an organization uh, if they can. The one goal is to try to find an organization that can use one of their projects. So um, that's, that's kind of the way the class is organized. Cool. Yeah. Wish I'd taken it. <laughs> <laughs> is there any advice you usually give to the graduate students you teach or a foundational scholar that you recommend to them or anything? Um, one thing, I, I think when anytime you're talking about advocacy and work in the community, it's easy to get overwhelmed by all the problems that are out there and to feel like, well, number one, you should be doing all of it. Um, and number two, maybe you should do none of it because it's there's too much. You know, where can you even start? So one thing that I try to say is just that usually you'll feel better if you just have one thing that you're doing and that that's different for everybody, what that thing is, and that often it's right in front of you. 
you know, you don't have to go to another country unless you want to, um, that a lot of times it'll be right there. And like uh, in, in Dead Man Walking, Sister Helen's work with death row inmates started because somebody just kind of offhandedly said, do you want to write a letter to a death row inmate? And she's like, okay, yeah, sure. You know, give me his name and address. And she didn't really think that much about it. And that developed into this whole, um, her being the leader of the, the a movement against the death penalty. So I think a lot of times it's it's right there in front of people. And, and you feel less helpless if you're doing one thing. And it doesn't have to be a big thing, but, you know, it, if you feel that it's you're doing something that makes things better in some way. I like that a lot. Has there been one project that really spoke to you that has come out of that graduate class? One student did a website for Patchwork Pantry uh, in the lo- you know here in the community completely redid their website. Oh cool. Um, that was really great. Um, another student did a whole study of food insecurity at JMU and made a proposal to the administration to to start a food pantry on campus. Another student did a proposal to JMU for supporting veterans on campus because she felt like there wasn't enough support for veterans. So everybody has done something really great in that class. I, I did also teach the class one time in a different way where everybody chose an organization first and um, paired up with that organization and did the same number of projects for that organization directly, working mm-hmm. with them. I was kind of experimenting to see which way would work better, and that had its advantages because it was real work that really needed to be done. You know, in, in some ways, uh, it wasn't as satisfying because it wasn't their cause, you know, that they were passionate about already. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't have that element, but there were arguments for both. I like that experimentation factor. It sounds super, like, community-based and collaborative, and I really like that. Yeah, it is. It has been. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Sarah. Thank you. I enjoyed it. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for this episode of Conversations at the Cohen Center. Thank you for listening to Conversations at the Cohen Center. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at JMU Cohen Center. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at cohencenter at jmu.edu. Our intro and outro music come from Phase 3 by Zylo Zico. You can find out more about them at freemusicarchive.org. <laughs>